Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Brian Venable of the band Lucero. We're talking about Marvin Gaye's 1973 album, What's Going On, and also about political activism and music and trying to get back to the roots of making simple songs. I've been a big fan of Lucero since around their second album and up through their most recent, When You Found Me, which came out January 29, 2021. I discovered Lucero through some cool older teachers and also due to their features in BMX videos by FBM and Props. It was a huge, huge honor to talk to Brian. Thank you so much for your time. If you want to hear me talk more about Lucero, please check out our 50th episode I did with my sometimes co-host Sarah Blumenthal. Also, please check out our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, where Sarah and I talk about records from our past. Please go subscribe. Okay, let's chat with Brian. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Man, it's going great. Um, hanging out at the house, doing things, looking at stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Having fun. <laughs> so today we are talking about Marvin Gaye's 1971 album, What's Going On? So that was released on Motown Records. This was his 11th studio album, and this was recorded at Hitsville in Detroit. Um, and so what I'll ask is, When was the first time you heard this record or the first time you remember hearing Marvin Gaye? Ooh, wow. Um, Probably not on the radio, for sure. Um, Not that they didn't play it on the radio. I just don't think, you know, my mom or dad, they were listening to more white people's music or not solid, you know. Um, You know, talk about Sean Cassidy or Toto. I'm there kind of scenario. Uh, (laughs) um, But... I think thrift store record actually. It's one of those ones where you knew who he was, but I think I found a you know Marvin and Tammy kind of record, and okay, and it was a completely different style than you know I had known about other stuff and everything, but um, but yeah, the duo stuff is what really you're like, oh, they're all dressed nice and and it's everybody <laughs> loves Tammy Terrell, you know, and so. So yeah, it was more of a self-discovery um, on my part, and it wasn't necessarily when I was younger. It was definitely, my dad taught me this, you listen to songs on the radio, and then you go to the record store and you buy them. That was his mm-hmm. thing when we were growing up, late 70s, early 80s. And so, and I've always been really like hungry for new stuff. Even now, I'm constantly like, ooh, what's that? You know, let me listen to that. And so... It, um, and I think a lot of that, you don't realize how important sometimes the records that you find, you know, like you're like, Oh crap. You know? And that's the thing is a lot of the Marvin Gaye stuff. You're like, okay, it's Marvin Gaye, Soulsville, you know? And the more you grow up, especially being from Memphis, I weigh heavily on stacks. That's Mm -hmm. the whole thing. It's like, um, and that's like, that's the Southern dirty music for the people kind of thing. Whereas, um, 
the Temptations and the early Marvin Gaye, all that, the Soulsville stuff was kind of, you know, they they had etiquette lessons. They dressed nice. Like Barry Gordy was pushing it for a white audience to have hits. Looking back now, that's the beauty of that particular record because Barry Gordy was like, oh, no, this is terrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I read something about that where it's like he gave the concept to Barry Gordy and Barry Gordy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the like, whole thing. I don't think so, you know. And that's the beauty because as a Southerner or as a uh, people of color growing up in, like, I've read uh, Peter Gurlnick's, I can't even pronounce his last name, but it's like sweet soul music and that kind of stuff. They kind of break down certain like Muscle Shoals, Memphis, and um, and Augusto, or yeah, I think it's Augusto, or uh, James Brown and stuff. And so oh, yeah, yeah. that was music that was like raw and dirty and like, yeah, this is where you get down, you know? And um, so this was almost like Motown, not catching up, but being, making politically aware, making less boxed in certain stylized music. And so that's what's interesting because far you're like, oh man, I love this song. I love this song. I love how because it's you know it still has that Motown sweet, but it's just dirty, just kind of floating through there. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, it's a lot looser than a lot of like Motown stuff. Um, and I I feel like what's interesting about someone like Marvin Gaye or even like Otis Redding. It was, I think even like last year, I felt like I was like, I'm going to sit down and just listen to an Otis Redding album, you know? And I feel like with this, with you telling me, you know, with us doing this, I was, it was the same kind of thing. I was like, I've heard so many Marvin Gaye songs. And I remember like as a kid, like downloading them on like Kazaa or LimeWire, you know, because it's just like, I want to know what this is. Yeah. But it's still in that time frame. It wasn't like download a whole Marvin Gaye record. Yeah, like no. that wasn't a thought. And to that me, for Motown know? and especially, I mean, the '60s. How am I gonna say this? The '60s and soul music in general was a singles market. Yeah, it definitely was. And yeah, and so for him to be writing, but basically was concept records about the state of the world and poverty and just racism and all this crazy stuff was unfounded at the time. And it to be on Motown. I mean, literally, Barry Gordy's just like, fuck, you know? And he can't tell him no because it's Marvin Gaye. And yeah, that's what's so amazing about it was like a, somebody that hadn't had the star power of Marvin Gaye wouldn't have gotten away with it, you know? They'd have, he'd have just been like, oh, hell no. But you can't. Yeah. And that's another where he got to use his clout or whatever. And Yeah, when... When you were telling me, uh, you know, to check out this record, like I almost thought it was like, is that the one with Let's Get It On on it? Because the titles, you know, it's not. But it was like, that's what I remember like downloading. Like it was, it was almost like, I wouldn't say I like downloaded it as a joke, but it was just like kind of a funny thing to put on a mix CD. And that song. Yeah. Yeah. It goes. So good. Yeah. That whole record's good too, but. But like, you know, it's like I'd burn like a mix CD and then like any of my like skateboarding or BMX friends, like, you know, that would be in the middle of it, so they'd like it, but it's also kind of funny. Yeah, know? nobody at um, the time. When I was a kid, um, Sam Cooke, I got obsessed with Sam Cooke, mm-hmm. and everybody just bags on Sam Cooke, and it's just like, man, he's the reason for the season when it comes to that, you know? Like, he was the starter, he was smooth, but he also could, like, if you listen to, like, at the Copa, it's all smooth, but if you listen to him at the Harlem Club or wherever, I mean, he is 
shredding it, you know, like, and, but he could never escape that smoothness. And that is the kind of thing to where I would make these tapes for girls and it would just be one whole side of Sam Cooke. And they're like, huh. I'm like, you don't understand. You know, like, but it's the same as if you put one song on there, they're like, oh, listen to this oldie romantic song. It's sweet. A whole record. And everybody's just like, you're 15, man. What are you doing? Like, who wants to listen to this? You know? (laughs) Yeah. I remember that, like, um, it was like my stepsister was like just hearing music I was listening to in my room. And I was, I think I was like listening to like Johnny Horton or something at like 14. And she was like, are you doing this as a joke? Well, that's, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I was just like, no, I just, you know, it's just like, I never listened to it. I could get it. Yeah. So I'm listening to it, you know? And she was like, do you like it? Uh, you know, it's just like, yeah, you just feel like you're like well, discovering things and you don't know why, but you feel compelled. That's where like, you know? when I got tired of punk rock at one point, one of the many times I was like, I'm out. I had yeah. found, and again, I've been very fortunate to find, I mean, I found the Runaways Cherry Bomb record at the thrift store. You know, it's uh-huh. like things you don't ever find anymore. You come home and you're just like, holy crap. But I yeah. found a whole pile of records on the curb one time that were like Buck Owens live at the something and Joe Jackson and all this crazy stuff. And, but it got me to where I was like, I got real obsessed with Leonard Skinner for a minute, like way past when, mm-hmm. like in the middle of before Lucero, but like not when you were a kid, but it led me down to like T is for Texas, which is Jimmy Rogers, which led me to the Carter family, which, and that's kind of the beauty of what a lot of people don't understand. It's like, man, I might listen to this forever. I might just be passing through, you know, this is, a, yeah. and that's the kind of thing to where I can appreciate this, but this might open up a whole new world. Um, and that's kind of how I listen to stuff. I worked at a record store and used record store. And I basically had the largest record collection ever. And it's like anything that was like, I wonder what that sounds like. I could go find it and everything. And that's, yeah. that's the beauty of it. That's what keeps it fresh. That's, you know, the, for me, the people that are like, bad religion. I'm like, man, you've been listening to that band for 40 years. You gonna listen to anything else ever? You know? Yeah, I feel like there was someone at work, and I think people just kind of like say these things. They're like, oh, I hate country music. You know? And yeah. I'm like, what do you refer, like, what do you, that means so many different things. Like, it's like, you know, a lot of times even with, like, when you get into, you know, Marvin Gaye or you get into a lot of, like, you know, Stax Records, like the the connections between like what makes something soul and sometimes what makes something country is just like horns. A difference of a day. Oh man. No. No, we we were playing like everybody hated the first record we did, we had horns on, what thirteen seventy two. People were losing their minds. They're like, What the hell? And I'm like, Man, it just went from Johnny Cash to to Otis Redding, you know, and literally that's you know, and it's a lot more, but as a whole, a lot of times, really, it just comes down to horns or dancing, yeah. you know, that you can be yeah. sad, but you might get, like, move a little bit. And, but yeah, that's the thing is I went through a phase to where I loved all modern country. I was obsessed and everybody's yeah. looking at me crazy. I'm like, oh, it's horribly produced and it's all this, but it's like, it's the last of the Brill building style. Like, no, they're not writing their own songs, but. I don't care if you write your own song. Like, I don't know what the, how this yeah. became this glorified thing, you know, but 
Yeah, that that kind of meme that you see people, I guess it's like a meme. You'll see people being like, uh, Beyonce has all these writers, but Queen, all, and I'm like, what is that? What is <laughs> you know? Cares? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like, yeah, who cares? It's like, and that you know, it's like no disrespect to anyone in Queen, but it's like Beyonce is a phenomenal performer. You know, it's like this isn't a one to one. Yeah, well, that was the whole thing. Yeah. Is like, it, if you can write it, that's great, and perform it even better. But for me, it was like all those Motown, all those old '60s and '50s hits were written by Carol King and her ex-husband and some other people in a freaking room in New York, you know? Yeah. And that's the beauty. Like, everybody complains about it. It's like somebody somewhere took time and wrote that song and crafted it for somebody else mm-hmm. to sing. But it's still... And again, I'm not selling... Like, don't go out and just listen to any old thing. I don't get it. But as, you know, like, for every she thinks we're just fishing or she loves my tractor, sometimes if you dig in a little deep you'll find like a, oh, crap, that kind of spoke to yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of country is like a representation of pop music at the time anyways. Like, even if you're looking at, like, Deanna Carter in the 90s, that's not so far off than what was happening. Patsy you know, and it's Klein. Amazing. Patsy yeah. Klein with the Jordanaires. That was just, yeah. that was the least country thing you'll ever hear. There were strings on it, <laughs> you know? It was some Lawrence Welk-ass shit. But everybody, you know... If they came out today with that, everybody would be like, that's not real country. You know, and it's just, they took Loretta Lynn's guitar away, you know, like, that's not real country. And it's just like, man, kids that drive around in the tracker now listen to Nickelback. They don't even listen to Grandpa's Country. That's some, yeah. you know, hipster dude stuff, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. And um, so, so yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, I mean, I grew up hardcore kid. And I was right there, man. I loved Public Enemy. I loved Ice-T. I loved all the rap stuff, you know? And um, what is that? One of the um, Fishbone with Freddie's Dead, you know, that kind of thing. That circles back to where you realize that's um, oh, the impressions. Um, guitar, Curtis Mayfield, you know? And, yeah, yeah. Um, again, that's Ice-T. I'm your pusher, man. I think that's Curtis Mayfield. I mean, I got a heavy Yeah, dose a lot of, of yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that was the beauty of sometimes where you're just like, ooh, ooh, you know? And and then we have one of the first, if not the first, uh, black, I don't know if it was owned, but it was definitely black-operated radio stations, WDIA. And that's where B.B. King used to be one of the DJs and all this. And when I worked at this donut shop, the lady, Marcella, that worked up front, she was listening to it. And I'd come in and be like, what is this rubber band man song? Or what is this if you think you're lonely now? Like, I was became obsessed and she was just this older black lady that was laughing at this young white kid because I was just like, what song is this? Who is this? What song is this? You know? Yeah. And I started playing it in the back, you know? And and that's the kind of place, too, where you would hear the Marvin Gaye type stuff. But, but yeah, it's just, um, you know, because a lot of it is just as punk rock as anything punk rock, you know, probably more so, realistically. Yeah, I mean, the adversity, like, it feels like Marvin Gaye had to endure through his life from his own family. Yeah. <laughs> you know, putting that lightly to the very end of his life. Yeah, exactly. Um, was a lot, you know, like, but I guess, like, what we are talking, even to tie it back into, like, you know, if you look at any Marvin Gaye credits, there's a bunch of people credited, too. But yeah. But it's like, you can't, like, Marvin Gaye is doing so much to the song, even if he wasn't always, like, writing every single part oh, no. but it's like he's contributing so much he's the feel. To arrangement yeah I mean, and like yeah and then like a layer of vocals you know? yeah no i mean and that's what i'm saying is like you just sometimes especially in the headphones and again 
I just pre-ordered it for vinyl, but I've been listening to the Detroit mixes. And I don't know, like I would play the original one that everybody grew up on and then change it to the Detroit mixes. And it's a little bit more loose and raw. Like that's the one that I guess they were like, ooh, no, let's tighten it up a little bit. And you still got that crazy loosey-goosey one that got put yeah, out. Yeah, it feels pretty loose. Like it's... But if you um, play that Detroit version, you're like, oh, like it is yeah. just floating around in you and like planets. Like it is nothing. Yeah, I, I was very surprised when I dug in because like the fact that, you know, just the little things you kind of get from, you know, it's a concept record and, you know, I had to kind of read about it because I think you can you can appreciate it on a lot of levels. So you could just kind of sit there, tune it out and listen to it. And it's great yeah. for that. But it's like. When you start digging in, there's like so many layers to it. Like the whole concept is like it's the point of view of like a Vietnam veteran returning from home. Uh, but then, you know, and seeing kind of racial injustice and hatred and suffering and also ecological things oh. that he talks about on the record. It's like way ahead of its time, oh. even ahead of its time to the point that people still don't really Get write it. songs like yeah. this. Yeah. And the funny part, how you mentioned it's only like, it's less than 30 minutes because it was on vinyl only, you know, like most concept records, it's like double LP. I'm going to beat you to death with this modeling. However you say that word, you know, crazy long story. He's like, Nope, I'm going to hit you hard. I'm going to hit you fast. Yeah. When I think of the term, like uh, a concept record, I just think of like, and I'm forgetting the name of the band, but like operation mind crime too, or something, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, I'm just like, Oh Lord, that's what we're doing. Oh man. Oh, what is Uh, that? Uh, it's not dream theater i know Um, i know but that's also dream theater's career yeah um but yeah we'll think about what that is um but that's what i think of when i think of uh you know concept records but this one is i think it clocks in at 35 minutes yeah and that's (laughs) That's the thing wild and he just was sneaky sneaky about it you know Mm -hmm. and that's the beauty of it is like you said you can put them out there i mean there was a couple of singles off of it i think one or two at least um but if you listen to each individual song, you're just all like, yeah, oh, man, this is, oh, what did he just say? You know, like, it's just yeah. so, like, it's not hit you over the head with a hammer, but it, it's just, so he's just being real subtle. And, uh, yeah. and that's, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, it was just one of those ones that more and more I, uh, I'd known about it. I'd listened to it obsessively for a while. Just his, like he said, like you get into his catalog, but then on, um, Oh, I don't know what channel it's on, but there's that TV series now, the 1971, I think it's on Apple, mm-hmm. and it's like supposedly yeah. the greatest year in music kind of thing, and mm-hmm. one of the episodes kind of focuses on that record and him, Okay, and that's where it yeah. was kind of like, ooh, I need to double down on this again, and that's when I discovered the Detroit mixes, and and it was just kind of like, so like that raw-ass record was even rawer before they uh, fixed it up or something. Yeah, it feels like, through the whole record, like, it feels like a sermon. Like, in a lot of ways, it is. That's what it is. It is. Yeah, no, I mean, legitimately, like, he's trying to be, he's not pointing fingers. He's not being angry. That's the other thing, is you're feeling real, like, you can see me, but nobody else can. But, yeah, you're, you know, where you're just walking around the house, like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And you're like, yeah, yeah. But you don't realize that you're just taking in, like, you know, just stuff that you need to know and he's like you need to know this you know and ironically i'm 50 so that record's 50 years old and not much has changed you know 
And that's the thing is it still has a place at this point, you know? Yeah. I, so just like thinking about too, like on the first two tracks, you know, like what's going on and then how it just goes straight into like, there's like a break, but then it just picks back up. Yeah. You think it stops, but then it just picks up again. Yeah. And it's like essentially just like part two. Yeah. You know, um, but it's, yeah, it's kind of starts answering those questions. It's like the big record is a question like you know that point of view like what am i looking at and then it's like you know because marvin gay's brother was a vietnam veteran so uh it was like the letters he was getting back Man. you know from him and then there was also another story and i can't remember what group it was it might have been temptations but i don't want to be wrong um but essentially they were touring and you know one of the guys in the other band was like pointing out you know they were just like driving by things like you know or they'll say riots or yeah. you know like uh basically police brutality yeah you know no, that's... that we're still dealing with yeah. today um and that's you know another kind of seed that you know was sown into it and then also the passing of um you said her name at the Tammy, beginning yeah no that yeah, wrecked Tammy. him yeah like that literally yeah. wrecked him and that i think made him more sensitive or more not sensitive, but you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, like I don't know if she had in the past, if he might've still known about it, but I think it made him, it hurt his soul kind of thing. So that kind of, you know, to be open, to be that openly sad about stuff sometimes makes you aware of other things that you maybe wouldn't see if you're like having a good time. I don't, you know? Yeah. For some, I, it's just my mind always wants to draw like weird parallels that probably don't even connect, but it kind of makes me think of like when, you know, like Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge uh, did like those duet records. And then whenever they split up, like kind of those divorced dad kind of records that you got after that. Yeah. Like, it's just like, yeah, if that hadn't happened, you know, it's like, it's a, a different situation happened. Like they didn't have, Oh, I'll say they didn't have a relationship, but they had a relationship, yeah. Marvin Gaye and uh, Tammy. But, you know, it's I think that kind of, you know, it leads you to this other direction. And you wonder, like, what, you know, Marvin Gaye would have been had he not just kind of going off of what you said. I yeah. think he would have been making he wouldn't have. I think it hurt untimely death made him question life. That's one of those. Yeah. You get esoteric or existential, I guess. more. And I think that's where, you know, like, um get weird like to modernize it's like how there's people now it's like why were we in afghanistan for 20 years how many people died and this and that and you know and what was the point and kind of thing and or i forget what it was like post-world war one there was everybody was just kind of like that was when like uh belief in god went down incredibly because a lot of people were mm-hmm. just like there's no way there's a god if that just happened you know yeah and um that's the kind of thing on a personal level for him is losing her so soon or just abruptly had to have opened up a lot of more like, what's the point if, you know, somebody like her just gets taken away. And so I think, yeah, I mean, it's like if we, if there had been an alternate reality, those records that he probably would have continued to make with Tammy would have been amazing too, like, oh. you know, but it would have been just a different thing. Like, you know, but it, yeah, kind of going into thinking, there's a lot of like, it's very on, like it's focused into it, but there's a lot about faith on this record yeah. too. You know, they're just straight up things. But the way that he says like, God is love, like it feels like a different thing. It's hippie. Than, like, he's full blown yeah. hippie. No, that's yeah. the other thing is he's like, imagine, gosh, I was trying to think about this too for this conversation. 
like number one, the fact that they allowed it, not just they being the America, the world people as fans, you know, imagine, I mean, frick, I don't know, Bruno Mars, let's just say somebody that's just a straight up something all of a sudden mm-hmm. puts out some kind of crazy, like, Hey, the world's gone to hell. What's going on? Better, you know, full blown hippy dippy, this and that. People would just be all like, today, I think would just be like, hell no. You know, like, yeah. you don't get to do that. And and that's what it was. It was like, basically, this suit and tie guy, all of a sudden, and I think it was a, it was a slower bill. I can't remember if uh, Let's Get It On came, on came out before or after. I feel like that came out in maybe 68, but it might have come out. In- I think, actually, it came out after this. Because okay. I believe it's like, with the way that they turned out records, it's insane. Yeah. Because this is... Even when you look at the fact that, I mean, he he passed away in his 40s in 1984, and he this record, which isn't the end of I mean, Yeah, no, no, know, no. Still fairly early on in his career, is his 11th record. Yeah. So they... <laughs> and it's just like... I guess that's what you can almost see the, like, Willie Nelson moving back to Texas and getting growing his hair out. Like, this is yeah. the sole... This, yeah, this kind of is that, like you know? that sole equivalent. Or I recently did an episode of George Harrison, but, you know, for, and even the way, like, he kind of talks about, like, God, it feels like, because I, I know, specific, thinking back about, like, visiting that Otis Redding record, um, there was a documentary I watched, and he was talking about kind of wanting to, just how he was influenced by kind of rock that was happening. Yeah. And a lot of times you hear the conversation, rightfully so, kind of about, you know, white musicians stole, you know, the music from black musicians. But an interesting thing to look at was they were also looking the other way, too. You know, so it's like, you know, it's like, but it's yeah, it's like, obviously, you would have had well, to just, just co-mingle. I mean, that's George Clinton right now is like, hey, everybody's been living together, making all this. Thing. Like, he's the one that's like, nobody's co-opting anybody's thing. We're all just making music. But. Again, being in Memphis, go to the Stax Museum, watch a Stax documentary. You know, like mm-hmm. that's that whole thing is until Martin Luther King was assassinated, it was white teenagers, black teenagers, you know, everybody, all those kids, all those people that are writing for Stax were like children, you know, yeah, kind of thing, basically, you know, and they just hung out, went to tour Europe together, were playing in West Memphis, you know, like, and that was, yeah, they were taking all the crazy sources from each other. And making music together, you know? And so, and again, that's where it gets interesting. It's like, sometimes I have to be aware that it's like, this is coming from a 50-year-old white man. You know, somebody else might have a different view of it. But, um, but yeah, that was the beauty of a lot of it was is everybody was just learning together, you know? And, I mean, it's the same as, like, New York City, you know, like, all the punk rockers and all that, everybody thinks they're so hardcore, but man, they were listening to hip hop. They were listening to disco because you couldn't help it. It was next door or it was, you know, at the same clubs. It was at the same, you know, it was just your neighbors were probably Puerto Rican or black and dancing. And you're like, don't tell my friends, but I really like this or, you know, or kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, I remember, I remember thinking about like disco because I, I feel like that whole like notion of disco was like, not really the way it was even when I was a kid. Like yeah. I remember as a kid feeling like it's like like I had to hear from somebody like disco's not cool. Like I was already like 
listening to it, yeah. you know, because it was already so far fa- past it. And I didn't know it wasn't cool, Man. you know. And then even when I started discovering, like, Kiss, they had, like, disco songs, yeah. you know. It's like, you know, so it's like I sometimes, like, having some of that distance, like, helps because I, those kind of lines are so well, that's, blurry and that's silly a lot of times. And that's exactly. Like, right now, I've been listening. To, I'm elbow deep in the rabbit hole of um gay underground electronic basically disco like patrick collie and all this crazy stuff you know and sylvester and all this stuff that you'd been like oh no you're not supposed to listen to that and it was just like to me almost same as punk rock it was so marginalized and ignored you're allowed to do stuff forever because nobody cares until somebody cares the same as you know punk rock can't really be as punk rock as it was because it's mainstream, you know, um, disco stuff. It went mainstream. Yeah. It probably got really terrible for the most part, but some of that yeah. underground stuff, you're just all like, this is nuts. And it's so good. And it's so weird and inventive. And, um, and it's the same with, cause I'd read about the soul music. Like you can have R and B and you can kind of have soul, but soul was such a specific to the civil rights movement. That you can, you know, like, that is an, an odd thing. There's an, a huge discussions about it. Like, you know, like, soul kind of was tied hand in hand with the civil rights movement. And when it kind of, not that the civil rights movement ended, but when it kind of kind of mm-hmm. ran its course, that particular yeah. style of soul went away. You know, like, you can, and again, there's plenty of people being soulful and doing soul to some degree, but it really, you almost part of having soul music was to have a message behind it to some degree. And I think that's where the interesting part with, again, it being Motown, it was soul music, but it was soul music. It's documented that was created for a white audience, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that was also the beauty of like the breakout with this record. He was making just straight up soul music, message music, you know? And, um, so, it's kind of interesting to see subsects or just stuff that got ignored or like, and again, yeah, I grew up. It's like, Oh, disco's terrible. And I'm all like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Blondie did a pretty good job too. Or, you know, I really like the, I don't know why I like this song so much, but I do, you know? And that's my thing is I love dance music, but for years I was like, Ooh, don't tell anybody, you know? Yeah. I was just talking to my wife about that. Like, I still feel like sometimes I'm, I'm, it's like I've, I guess even like taking it back a little further, like we bought a van, like, and it's been like more than 10 years ago, but I bought it from this Russian guy and his name was like Ace. And, uh, there was, he had a CD in, in the van and it said techno mix <laughs> and we would put it on, we'd go on the road and we'd be like, just listening to it yeah. all the time. And we were like, we like techno. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, and I, guess, I didn't know. Well, that's the thing is, and again, there's. Good and bad and everything. I think that, for me, follows back to the modern country kind of thing, you know? There's, I mean, I moved away and came back, and all my hardcore friends all of a sudden were, you know, true till 21 and are going to dance clubs, you know? And yeah. Moby <coughs> and all that kind of stuff was, you know, and I was like, it's not bad. But I like a more, I've learned listening to enough, techno's a little bit fast. But then there's like 37 genres of techno. Yeah. But I like that weird disco where there's like a you can kind of just it's still moving but there's a bounce to it not necessarily a and but yeah i just 
all those poor old ravers I made fun of, I'm now wishing I was friends with. I know, so, that's how I feel. Yeah, it's it's just like, man, what did I miss out on by having these, like... And I don't feel like I had the worst blinders of people that I see. But, oh, yeah. You know, it's like... But it's still just like... It's there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I only listen to blank, you know, at that time frame, you know. <laughs> I only listen to Fast Punk. I only listen to Metalcore, or whatever it was in that. <laughs> and that's right now, my whole thing is white western chord changes white dudes with tattoos and beards songs about trains and whatever i don't listen to any of that right now you get in a van it's like i got an 11 hour i um apple itunes playlist that i just constantly am drawing new and old stuff you know and it's but it's for me it's so it's just as exciting as being 14 and discovering punk rock you know or 20 or 19 or 20 or 22 discovering that country kind of stuff like it's something I'm like, holy crap, I've been missing out on this. And, you know, and I still stray off. I'll listen to Birthday Party or I'll listen to something weird every once in a while. But um, I still love Bon Jovi. I'll go to my grave, you know? Yeah. I've, yeah. I loved him when I was a kid. I mean, my last two cassette tapes before I discovered punk rock were New Jersey and Slippery When Wet. Kind of, You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, people make fun of me and I'm like, I don't care. It makes Dude, me the, happy. The hooks on that stuff and like you know who you know, wrote early Def Leppard and you know who White Snake wrote and, most uh, of Bon Jovi's hits, Desmond Child. I mean, he wrote so much from that era of well, I mean, the up, best hooks. He wrote the know? thong song. He wrote. I mean, there's. I looked him up one day because I was curious. Every song you like by Bon Jovi and some of the other, you're like, oh. I like Desmond Child. I might not even. I mean, again, it comes Bon Jovi presented it well, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but that's the interesting thing. I mean, that guy, he's like, I don't care. I'll write anything. You know, (laughs) he wrote a rap song about underwear. I mean, it's just like, well, I'm down for whatever. And, but yeah, there was just a point where even the hip hop, you know, like early on, you're like, you got to listen to public enemy. And I love public enemy, you know, and everything. But there was always like the, you got to be hard. You got to be tough. And then it's like, oh man, no way, Jose. I'm ain't no half step in here, you know, Big Daddy Kane or just you just want to yeah. get like, yeah, I want to dance, you know, I want to do more than the two step kind of thing. And it's just funny because you're like, man, there's a point in your life. And I think circling back to even that soul music where you're like, I'm not tough, you know, some I, I'm not out here. I'm not beating nobody up. I ain't I'm 50 year old man with, you know, post COVID with, you know, bad knees you know what i mean it's like <laughs> like I'm, yeah. i gotta be able i better be able to talk my way out of anything because unless i get yeah. you know and that's the point where it's like finally at some point in your life which is a shame because it wasn't younger you're like man i like that I, I mean like i said i bring back bruno mars that man is unstoppable as far as i'm concerned yeah. you know and yeah. i watched the video i never watched videos and it popped up of that new song about come on over and i got weed and poos and come lay in my pool they're dressed up like Philly soul and they're just getting down and you're just like, that guy's having all the fun right now. You know? Yeah, like, I, I always, always joke. It's like, I love watching people have fun, yeah. but I know that I won't have fun, and but I, I do love seeing it. Yeah. And I'm just know? at this point, man, I'll get buck wild in the grocery store and dance. I don't give a fuck, you know? And that's the kind of thing to where a lot of that plays into it. And, um, so yeah, I, and that's what's so funny. It's just like I sit on that stage with Lucero with the sunglasses and look all dour, and everyone's like, "You should smile." I'm like, 
I'm concentrating. You know, like this isn't <laughs> anger. This is like, oh, yeah. shit. Do I remember this song? You know, but afterwards, you throw on some Michael Jackson. I'm just like, whoo, whoo, whoo. And, um, yeah, that's, I don't know. And that's the beauty of not caring, you know? And Yeah, that, that feeling, though, whenever you're about to hit the stage and you're like, for me, I play bass primarily, and I'm like, I've never seen a bass in my life. Like, that's how you feel when you're about to get on stage. You're like, I don't know. I don't 15 minutes before, this... I'm literally like, I don't remember any of the songs, you know? And they're like, yeah. it doesn't matter. And I'm all like, thanks for that, you know? <laughs> they're like, I think it does, but yeah. thank you. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I feel that. And even, like, I was watching a, um, a PBS documentary about Marvin Gaye, and they were talking about, like, how... Like he couldn't, he couldn't dance. And that was like a big thing about him, but it was like, they were like, but when he moved and it, you know, it was not the right moves, but he just felt it so much. It didn't matter. Yeah. And again, you know, it's Marvin Gaye. There's yeah. certain people that are yeah. just, it's just like, fuck, I don't know what he's doing, but he's feeling it, you know? And, uh, I don't know my favorite Marvin Gaye at all story, I guess at this point in my life is Brandon. I watched, uh, there's a documentary on the 808 drum machine. Um, which is the hip hop drum machine. And it just, I guess Phil Collins used it in the don't think twice. Like different places it got used where you wouldn't expect it. But the, uh, sexual healing song is nothing but 808. He oh, rolled wow. up into like Sweden or wherever, set the box down to the producers was like, don't touch it. Just hit play when I go in there. And he had programmed it, I guess. So when you go back and listen to it, it's just all like, you're like, I feel like there might be something on there, but supposedly it's just this 808 and him singing, you know, and you're just like, that's, so, he's like, that was his last song, you know, before he, pretty much before he passed away. But it's like, yeah, even back then, he's just like, I got this machine. I made it something, do something cool. I'm going to go in here and sing it real quick, you know? Yeah. I love that feeling though. Whenever, uh, like when you're kind of really paying attention to those kind of songs, a lot of times it can pass you by but even if you listen to like early iced tea it's like you know a lot of times it's like the same kind of beat the whole way through that's the and you know and then you're like that's the beauty of it you know and the the ways that you can kind of layer it up it's a tone like i've been yeah i've been trying to like almost like maybe sometimes because i'm lazy but i feel like sometimes i'm trying to write a song where it's like what can i do with one part that doesn't feel like one part you know and that's um the free jazz aspect. That's the kind of stuff and the electronic stuff I've been listening to. A lot of that now, Noi, and that kind of stuff. And Giorgio Moroder. Um, and again, free jazz. They just, it's a tone poem kind of thing. It's mono something where it's just like, yeah, something's just going click, 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 and some variation. But, and again, you can't see it. You can, but like there's so much going on. Yeah. That it turns it into this big song, but realistically, at the heart of it, it's just a metronome that doesn't. Yeah. There's no verse, chorus, bridge, nothing. It's just boom, boom, top, boom, 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 top, boom, 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 top. But you're adding and taking away, and yeah, you're just like, this is so amazing. And that part of that is also like the African heritage of the poem and telling the stories and the slave culture, and then it's also crazy, like um, European. Um, Romanian and Russian uh, peasant stuff. They were very mono mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so there's yeah. this whole history in it that's pretty amazing that gets lost in the like, you know, old white dude musicians are like, that's not music. That's just noise. There's, you know, and you're like, you don't even know. You've grown up on a history of 
this is where I'm about to get ugly on the world, but it's like we've been force fed first course, verse course, bridge course, pre course for yeah. the last since 1919 or more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's we've been taught that that is song structure and it's just mm-hmm. one of many, but it's as a whole is popular music, pop music. Has been that, you know, whether it's, you know, Whistling Dixie or whatever weird song from 1860 all the way to whatever's popular today. And it's so crazy that once you start kind of stretching out, and it sounds wrong. All this jazz I started listening to when I was a kid, I just discovered it on my own. I thought it was like punk rock for me. It's just like four dudes just hammering it out. And I'm like, it's so confusing and I don't understand. And the more and more Albert Eiler, Cecil Taylor, um, I mean, later Coltrane before he passed away, they're all stripping away things and like just working with ideas of melody and all that, you know, and you're just like, but those people that like, you know, there's a tear in my beer, my war, Carl, like who have just been, you've yeah. been conditioned to listen to or like, that's not music. I'm like, of course it is. It's just not that music, you know, like this music yeah. makes you think and you hear it and you're kind of conflicted and you're, Argh. and I mean, I, my band's, guilty of it a lot but like we write music to make you remember like oh i missed that girl or oh back in the day you know mm-hmm. and a lot of this other crazy music you want it to be like shit this is happening now or i have to like kind of concentrate and think about this and i just went off on a tyrant i'm sorry no i it makes me like i guess i'm kind of thinking about like even like early ice tea a lot because i've been listening to it a bunch but just kind of like thinking about kind of tying those things together it's just like that just that th- i've been obsessed with the thought that like even if you look at things like lungfish it's like a lungfish song can be like one part the whole time yeah uh, but it doesn't feel like it you know in a way in a way it is because it's like you know kind of you know and it's like it's like why do we need more it's almost like just being cons- like i don't want to say the word conservative because it the connotations but like kind of like every chord change you should earn it in a way and it's an, and that's what i'm saying is like you can't make it unpalatable people want to hear it over mm-hmm. and over again you want that earworm you want that hummable melody kind of thing and that's like yeah that's what makes people buy records or listen to the radio and sell airtime and like and that's where i get real like yeah it's great what you do you know but there's whole people that are on whole career like again let's queen or people like that what they did was amazing but if you took them i mean well you might have been able to take brian may out of that box and he'd do some crazy stuff but as a whole yeah you know like that was the beauty of prince to me was like you know like he would just get weird you know and half the time if you're good at it you don't notice that's the beauty of things like your iced tea is like when you're good at it you don't notice it when you're bad at it you're like oh what is this racket and yeah. so that's the part of it is like, I got friends that look at me like, I'd rather eat broken glass than listen to jazz. And I'm like, you're so, that's so crazy. Yeah. They're missing out on so much, like kind of similar to you. Like I, it's like someone older friend, like made me and my brother a tape. And it's like, it had, I think the point of it was just to give us like government issue, legless bull EP. But after that was done, it was just all John Coltrane. Yeah. And I was like, that's a, what is this? That's a gift is what somebody gave you <laughs> <Yeah>. a gift. <laughs> and I'm more so listening to John Coltrane yeah. than government issue legless pool, you know, but 
the two together was just like and that's the thing this is the blueprint that guy yeah. was a good person you know yeah. and again there's nothing wrong with legless bull you know no. but there's an element of for me that as i get older it's like i'm 50 i don't really want to listen to 16 year olds rail against society i want to hear a little yeah. bit more complex or you know again i'll revisit it and be like ooh, wasn't that remember again i'm not listening to it going smash the system i'm going ooh, you remember that time we stole that jacket out of that cop's car you know or whatever that type of music at the time frame man yeah well what's wild tying it back to marvin Gaye is just like kind of the idea of like smashing the system it's like that's on this record i know that's what i'm saying <laughs> it's like, like it's like but i like the i think like something we're kind of basically talking about um it's just like there aren't any rules you know there weren't any rules to this like I think like Barry Gordy, you know, like Barry Gordy told them like probably like how this should be. Yeah. And Barry Gordy had a formula that worked. So yeah. why would you not? You well, know, that, but it's like it, this is still soul, but it's doing so much more, but not that that's bad. Yeah. And that's the thing. Even Barry Gordy was like, I think he finally was just like, yes, I was wrong. You know, like it would be real funny. Yeah. 50 years later, he was like. Oh, that's still a terrible record. You know, like that would be like, oh, but he's not. He's like, okay, you know, and it led to more um, the Supremes doing the something about the child in the inner city and stuff like, you know, like it allowed Motown to start being more socially conscious in a way. Mm -hmm. And yeah. which ironically was everybody loves Otis Redding, but more people know who the Temptations are usually, whether they know it or not. Or the Supremes or Diana Ross or, you know, like, so what he did was open doors with that record to the um, urban market geared towards white audience protest music, you know, like yeah. more so than, um, more so than Bob Dylan to some degree, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, um, or of that ilk, you know, and that's what, so also you're just like, man, he just kind of slid in there. It was like, hey, watch this. You know, like, yeah. they're not even going to know. And then all of a sudden, they're just going to be hippies. It's going to be great. And that's the beauty of that to me was, you know, like, because you do, you listen to it, and like you said, it's almost hidden, you know, because it's so kind of pretty and kind of dancing and kind of everything. But it's in there. And Yeah, and that was the best advice you gave me was just so you were like, listen to it with headphones oh man you know yeah. and there's so much more and just like so, so many much. studio tricks and like man it, you know you're getting so much yeah more of an experience, I, i've recently know? since maybe since i started fooling with recording or i don't know but like funkadelics free your mind like i've listened to that on headphones and been like oh damn you know i've listened yeah. to it on acid and there's a third voice that i've went back afterwards and been like where is that you know kind yeah. of thing but but headphones will change a lot of those crazy records, you know. Um, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, like those records are headphone records. Sometimes I feel like there should be stickers put on certain records that are like, "This is a great in your car, but it's going to be a lot better in your bedroom," <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just those kind of things of uh, when you're listening to a record like this and uh, where you almost just feel like things are panning around. Oh, your head. circling. And you're just like, so you're just moving your head, but no one can see what you're moving your head to. When and it feels like, like it goes through <laughs> your head. That's the best yeah. one where you're just like, whoa, I feel like a ghost just ran through my ears, you know? 
And so, yeah, it's definitely, that's the other thing. And the lyrics, I feel like you get more lyrically in the headphones. So, I, you know, because you're, it's kind of like baseball on TV is boring because you can wander off. But if you're at the baseball game, you're kind of like, well, this is all, this is, and you get real intense. And you're like, how am I getting real intense at a baseball game? There ain't nothing else to look at, you know, so you're involved. And I, Yeah, eh. but I mean, like a baseball game, it's like you could just, like you can put baseball on in the background and kind of chill out. Yeah, you know it's relaxing. Like so, it's this record. It's like that's yeah. I wouldn't have thought there'd be a similarity, but you know it's like, but you can get a lot more if you if you're there. Yeah, and you know that puts you there. Um, but yeah, it makes me. I kept kind of thinking about like how his like faith, and I know it's almost inescap- inescapable for us like being in the South. Um, you know, I was raised in, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now. So it's like, and I was raised Pentecostal and so was, uh, Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Um, and sorry, my grandmother's you know, so a staunch Southern Baptist. So I just snickered anything. I'm like, Oh, yeah. so you're... I mean, it's, yeah. A lot of times what like, if I talk to, you know, kind of people that grew up more strict Baptist, they like, Oh, I know exactly what uh, you're talking about. See, I'm you all know? like, man, you got lucky. You probably had yeah. padding on your pews, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we we did, but um, but there were there were like I think there's like give and take. It's like oh, yeah. there's not padding on Baptist pews, but like we had to like we you know like women couldn't cut their hair. Like yeah, oh no no, I'm just saying it's stuff. just so, that's it's but, just funny when you get a bunch yeah. of Southerners together and that are just my Ben Nichols grew up Methodist. I'm like ooh, so you didn't actually weren't religious at all, like you know and <laughs> yeah, it's like somehow it turns into one of those one upmanships. I'm just like man. I my atheist streak runs deep because I grew up so Southern Baptist, you know, at this yeah. point in my life. Yeah, I remember yeah, having a Methodist friend and they were like complaining about going to church and I'm like, Why? You don't there's nothing Do you even have to put church clothes on? I bet you you're just going to T shirt and jeans, don't you? Yeah. Fuck. No one hits you there. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody's <laughs> handing you a snake. And yeah. um so <clears throat> but yeah, that's I don't know. And that is the beauty of it too that for how spiritual the record is like legit like god the idea of literally religious and you find yourself even if you're not religious anymore you're kind of like getting again circle back it's a sermon you're straight up listening to a 30 minute sermon you know Mm -hmm. and um and so that's kind of interesting how there's a you know like if somebody says hey i want you to listen to this guy preach for 30 minutes you'd be like no <laughs> sorry they've been there done that not gonna do that yeah but you're like hey listen to this record you know with the headphones on and you're like oh cool yeah you know and that's the beauty of it is too is that yeah it is i mean it's multifaceted it's hippie spirit it's hippie god stuff it's not the idea of god but god and the whole but it's also legitimate he's talking about god in a black southern church you know um experience and yeah you know. Yeah, I remember I remember like growing up like I would hear even things about like I was raised by very republican parents but even it felt like they were they would tell me stuff about you know recycling or kind of like yeah. just conservation but the kind of that old school ver- version yeah. of conservation. So that the song uh Mercy Mercy Me the Ecology like really like stuck out to me right. yeah, but it almost felt like with my parents it was just something they said because they didn't actually like recycle but it was like turn off the water yeah and, you know, that but it was, was like take care of your environment because you were steward of the environment of, you know you know you know god's earth yeah you know and so it's like that's what it feels like when it's talking about ecology it's like 
God put us here, so we got to take care of yeah. the planet. And that's you know? the thing is like, you know, if some preacher or guy on the street told you that, you'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, and um, I mean, yeah, it's it's Al Green's church, you know, like um, he's back preaching some, but in the 90s, you'd go see him preach, you know, and it's like, so you're telling me I'm getting up in the morning. Basically, I was going to go see Al Green sing, but I had yeah. to go listen to Al Green preach, <laughs> you know, before you could get to see Al Green. And he's pretty much at the time was like, there's a whole back room full of weirdo white kids that he's just all like, I don't care what they're here for. They're about to get preached to, you know, somebody might get something out of it. Um, so yeah, I just, it's just, sometimes it's feels really good. Like if it's just, you're struggling or you listen to much weird stuff or you're just something it's every once in a while, it's just a good to, uh, you throw it on. And again, it's short. It's not drawn out by the time you're mm-hmm. kind of like, you flip it to the other side and you're just like, holy crap, I just listened to, you know, what's going on in its entirety today. When's the last time you could say that, you know, like, and, um, yeah, I don't know. And that's the beauty, I guess, is that it's a feel good record with a message. I don't know. Yeah. At this point we're getting into Hallmark things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess like, as we kind of move to talk about you for a second, but still really talking about Marvin Gaye, it's like, how do you feel like this record resonates with you as like when you write music, like even with Lucero? Ah, I mean, at this point, I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, for me, guitar playing wise, I've never been a real traditional guitar player. You know, mm-hmm. the more I've done it slowly, it's still not traditional, but it is definitely, you know, like, and everything but I, it's just yeah I don't know I like to be how would I phrase this kind of sneaky mm-hmm. and underneath you know what yeah. I mean like that's the thing is I've never been really and if it was it was an accident or me learning or you know like I've never been the big in your front or your face solo or chunk you know what I mean like that's my thing is like and the older I get and the more I play the more in the pocket or nothing or something. And I think that's part of it is like, it's still soul, but there's still a whole lot of weird shit going on, you know, guitar parts, but they're not overwhelming, you know? And a lot Mm -hmm. of times I'll listen just for guitar stuff and you're just like, Ooh, that was tasty or whatever the people say, you know what I mean? Where you're like, that Mm -hmm. was just real subtle. And I think that's the beauty of what he's doing is, and I don't know if it's an older thing or the more you play, but I feel like more and more I'm trying to be a more subtle, understated guitar player. And I think that's... Yeah, yeah. I know it, it feels like so silly to say, but it's like really that less is more thing is so hard it's to do. It's the best lesson like, if you could ever... Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. You know, I uh, I hate the doors with a passion of a thousand suns. Yeah. But that guitar player, man, most of the time he's just... You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what I watched, some special or something came up and he was playing and it was just like, man, he played it with his fingers. It was just in there, you know, like an organ player is just eating up the fucking scenery. But so he didn't have much of a choice. But that's the kind of stuff where more and more I'm seeing people that I'm like, look at that guy. He's just like, man, I'm here. I'm just, when it needs me, I pop up. I'm not, I'm just down here. And yeah, like that's, it's just funny. You spend your whole life trying to play less, you know, or, yeah. or be less. Like even in other things in life, you're always just like, 
all right, I don't need to dye my hair. I don't need to do certain, you know what I mean? Like some things aren't going to go away like the tattoos, but I don't even see the ta- <laughs> more people see the tattoos than I see the tattoos, you know, but, but as a whole, yeah, you're just kind of like, yeah, man, I'm cool. I mean, it's, um, uh, st- pop staples from the staples mm-hmm. family. Staples. Yeah. Yeah. Man. You want to talk about oh. just, you're like, y'all hush for a minute. Let me just hear this man play. And uh, there's an album on Stacks called Jammed Together, mm-hmm. and it's Steve Cropper, Pop Staples, and um, Albert Albert King. Oh, Albert King. Yeah. Albert King. Okay. And yeah, um, yeah. and it's just good. Like they'll sing every once in a while, but mostly it's just all song. Like they're just they don't even tell who the rhythm section is. It just mentions them three, and it's just this weird like jam record, and you just get to hear them just kind of three tasteful guitar players just taking turns and you're mm-hmm. like that is an encyclopedia that is a guide to playing soul music all on its own you know and um and i think a kid me wouldn't have been able to appreciate it because it's not like blues hammer you know or just like yeah you know and now you're just like um i don't know my biggest thing is a lot of people when i talk to them about that stuff they're like oh that's it's such chill out music it's chill it's chill and i'm all like fuck off man it's subtle there's a difference between chill and subtle there's so much tasteful stuff there's a lot going on it's not like zone out music you should just listen you know one thing i was thinking about like harmonica blues like sunny boy williamson just like that call and response kind of thing yeah. like it's like you know it's doing exactly what a guitar would do in that part it's just like fills just where it needs to fit that's and that's yeah it's like hey you guys you don't have to we, again, you don't have to chew up the scenery, you know, and um, and yeah, that's that's for me in the old days with Lucero. Now they make me play right, but um, <laughs> back in the early records, if you listen to the early stuff, there's just big, wide open holes. I'm playing basically some kind of melody line or harmony line to his vocals, not knowing it, and when he quit singing, I'd quit playing, and it was just instinct. And people are like, man, the space is incredible. And ah, da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think, I don't know if I realized that when I was like hearing you when, but when I go back to those records, like, and uh, we actually did an episode of it recently. Uh, and so it's just like revisiting it. it it's funny that, um, you know, I, I know from, knowing you and you telling me now like it's like you were i guess still fairly new to guitar oh, yeah. but like to have those like instincts for it you know even by accident well, that's just the beauty of amazing it. and it fits yeah like, and nowadays for me it's like they're trying to put 10 pounds of poop in a five pound bag sometimes you know and the songs are bigger they're more epic they're more modern but there's something and i think there's a charming aspect to the early records and that nobody was telling us how to do it right or we didn't know or we were just you know but I still love space in songs. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need a piano fill. I don't need to put a, a guitar fill. Like, just let it breathe and then slide back into it, you know? And I think, again, circling back to Marvin Gaye, there's a lot of those things to where it's just, sometimes it's just that bongo and some bass or something for a minute. And it's just like, you just don't have to hammer it. And that's, again... I got lucky just not knowing what the hell I was doing, but yeah, I always like wish I could get, cause I sit down and try and write a song and it's like, you have too many, 
ideas of the things you've either already done or yeah. like you shouldn't do. And it's like, I wish I, and sometimes I wish I didn't know. And that's because like, I felt like it was like, you know, maybe I didn't feel like I could do anything at that right. time, but it's like, I didn't know what not to do. Well, that's like, you know, you can't see it. I'm just pointing at things, but I <laughs> turned on this fender twin that I found after four years that was missing and I thought it was broken and it worked. And I had it turned down low and the reverb up, plugged direct in, no pedals, no tuner. And I mean, I was just hitting C and G and doing this little like do, 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 do line, three note thing. And it was just so Cowboy Junkies Trinity Session or so Mazzy Star. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing special. People, you know, put it on the line. It's on the internet. And people are like, oh, this is so soothing or this is this. I'm like, people are like, what song is that? And I'm like, G and C, you know? like. <laughs> Yeah. But that's the thing is yeah. like, you don't have to, yeah, like, and that's where I love it. And again, it's not profitable. It's not necessarily a great thing, but I'm all like, man, just keep it simple, stupid. You know, like that whole kiss yeah. thing. There's like, you, it's hard to remember that. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to go strum and let it be, you know, you don't need strum. You just need strum three, four, strum. And then maybe put a little do-do-do. Breathe, strum. You know, and it's just like, it's gorgeous to me. And I don't even want lyrics on it sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, you know, it's sometimes it's just beautiful as it is. And yeah. that's where I've been lucky. What I play on the newer records isn't necessarily what I play at home or on my own stuff. You know, like, I'm still like, I love it so fragile or so rickety that it's just about to fall apart, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, I love it. I love it being out of time. I love like, okay, I recorded the guitar. Now I'm going to get a tambourine and hit a stick and hit the floor, Tom. And it's not going to be right, but it's going to be good, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's the uh, beauty of it is there's a point where you become professional at something or you do it for so long. And that's not just music. That's, art or anything i think you know that um if you get caught up in the like you know this is how you're supposed to do it or this is how it, you know and you're like no 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 i can do anything i want you know but sometimes you forget and if you can find that it's uh pretty awesome yeah before i let you go i was um so i was on youtube oh no and it was marvin gay oh, okay singing it doesn't go that that can that can go bad um so i was listening to it was said marvin gay uh heard it through the grapevine but it was just him singing i think they had like edited it in right. a way because it was a little off sounding but they had just isolated his voice on the video and just to like hear someone singing without any accompaniment yeah oh it was just like you're like this is still the song yeah it all it needed was him. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's so much power, you know? And that's like, kind of goes back to, I think what we're even trying to say, it's like, you think it needs more, but that's really all it, all needed. it needed. All those other things are great. great. Yeah. If you can, you play for the song and if you can successfully play for the song to where like, if I'm not playing, it's not an ego thing. Like I don't have to be playing every minute on this song. If I come in twice and go, and it makes the song better, then I'm like, I've done my part. It's so hard to get. Oh, in. and I was it's just so thinking, hard. you know, I don't know if you listen to it when you're in. 
there's a live version of uh, what's going on that all the uh-huh. songs and he does them live with the band and piano and stuff and it's a yeah. mind blower too but it's a lot of vocally it's a lot of that you hear him more by himself and stuff and it's pretty amazing just to hear it in a live context yeah one of the ones i was watching might be the same one he was like uh he was like bring it down yeah you know and they were just like bringing just, it down and he was yeah. still kind of belting it just like yeah just like still going and the song's still going because it's like you know he was a drummer but you know it's also just like to be like feel that you could lead a song without anything else it's just oh uh, yeah you know i'm just making noises now just no that's what i'm saying like that's the beauty of it is, is it's just and that's what i feel like that record to some degree and a lot of other records like i mean that's the cowboy junkies trinity sessions for me you know like I wanted to do the first Lucero record with just one mic in the attic. I had no idea the church was like gigantic, you know, and that mic was like a million dollars. Like there's a million factors, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. that would have made it where it's like, it was impossible to recreate that record. But yeah, that's an element sometimes where it's just like, if you listen to that record, I don't know if I put that on the list or not. You you did. I, and I'm going to, I'm going to listen to it. Um, that's always been a band that I wanted to like spend some time with. Don't and just that one record. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, it, uh, but it's just, sometimes you feel like that song just stopped and they didn't mean for it to, you know what I mean? Like it is so just, you're like, Holy crap, you know? And, um, yeah, like they did it in 24 hours or something. That's the other thing is like how they did that record. They just went in and cut it, you know, like almost live. And they brought in some session, you know, ringers and everything. But yeah, it's ethereal, like for lack of a better term. There are other stuff I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. But that particular record was like a moment in time captured. And, um, you know, and they had that hit with the Lou Reed song, Sweet Jane or the Velvet Underground. And uh, that was the big radio hit. But the rest of the record is just as amazing. And uh, But that's another element of like less is more. Like you want to hear a, a perfect exercise and less is more, put that record on. Because you're just going to be like, what the fuck? So, yeah. Because she opens up just singing by herself. And it's just like, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think discovering and appreciating what's going on is a, a signpost to a, a maturing of a musical taste. I think that's one of the things that violent films first record was the first punk rock record ever. I'd never heard of songs about jerking off. I've never heard about, I was a teenager listening to the teenagers sing about like, mm-hmm. I love that girl. I'm about to lose my fucking mind. And you're just like, I relate to this. This isn't, you know, born to be my baby or whatever. I'm, you know, like this is some straight up like creepy shit. Like this is, Oh yeah. You know, and then again, Cowboy Junkies one was just such a like, it caught me at a time when it was so like, holy crap. To this day, you know, that's Americana to me. Nothing, all this other stuff. But the Marvin Gaye is more of a like, I wouldn't have been able to appreciate it as much younger. Mm -hmm. You know, you almost have to kind of like grow into it or go into it. Like you said, thinking where you're like, okay, I'm not just going to at some point you're like, oof, let me listen to that again. And so that's the kind of beauty of like, I'm 50 years old and I'm still finding things about that record, you know, that are like blowing my mind. And so, well, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, talk with me and I super appreciate you picking this record. Man, I'm glad you picked the other two we could have talked about (laughs) were just as 
great too. Yeah. Like, you know, I have other projects to work on. You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, thank you. Oh, thank you. So much. Yeah, man. We just sat around and talked about music. It's plan A for me. Welcome back. Thanks again to Brian for coming on the pod. It's a huge honor. Please check out the newest Lucero album, When You Found Me. Also, just check them out on tour. They're on tour right now with Morgan Wade, if you're listening to this episode right when it drops. Okay, next week we're talking to Evan Bernard of the band Super Week, Slow Mass, and No Thank You, and really so many other bands. We talked about Dogs on Acid's self-titled album from 2015. It's a unique perspective on that album, being that Evan was roommates and friends with them. So it's really about, you know, the ground floor. So it's a great chat about the era and this time in his life. Lastly, don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Follow us on social media. That's Twitter and Instagram at spinningoutpod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast. Really sincerely helps. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for adding the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week. <laughs>